it was like my first month driving a motorbike at that point. And so I was driving on this massive bridge. And then all of a sudden, my motorbike just stopped working. This is my first month in Vietnam and this happens. And I just thought, you know, what is my life? Welcome back to Drive With Us. Woo! <laughs> yeah, a podcast where we bring on a new guest every episode to talk about the crazy things they experience on the road, who they are as drivers, and how they became the driver they are today. I'm Bob Neat. And I'm Taryn Cheap. Wow, I said that oh, really weird. I'm, I'm Taryn Cheap. Cheap. I'm Taryn Cheap. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so cheap, of course. I was thinking of a bird, but okay, you, could, you went that way. <laughs> and before we get into today's driver... We have an exciting announcement. Woo! Woo! Exciting <laughs> announcement. We haven't had one of those in a while. I think we need like a those little party favor things to go like pew. Insert visual. Yeah. <laughs> in your head. Yeah. <laughs> to the exciting news. <laughs> the Podicon Go Network is hosting their first annual family friendly podcast awards. Woo! Clap, clap, clap. <laughs> Round of applause. <laughs> And these awards are to showcase and promote family-friendly content in podcasts. And since we are a family-friendly show, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. (laughs) (laughs) More (laughs) visuals and (laughs) subtle cues. If you guys have enjoyed listening to our show, which we hope you have, we would love it if you could nominate us for the society and culture category of awards. And nominations will be running for the month of November. So from November 1st to November 30th, you can enter your submissions for who you want to nominate. And you can go to podicongo.com slash awards. We'll put the link in the description to submit your nominations for us and other family-friendly shows. And winners will be announced early next year. Woo! <laughs> And today's driver is Ashley, a traveler and a foodie. She's lived abroad for five years in six different countries, and she's been to 21 countries, which is amazing. Like, I Astounding. wish I could. Yeah. She loves to learn about different cultures and experience new things, as well as try new foods. She is a photographer, a digital creator, a mentor, and also the host of the Venturette podcast. And today, she shared with us some of the crazy driving experiences she had in other countries, such as her motorcycle breaking down in the middle of a busy bridge in Vietnam, and Google Maps leading her even higher up in the mountains in Bali. Welcome, Ashley, to Drive With Us podcast. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, we're glad. We're super excited to hear all your crazy stories, especially since you've been outside of the country and also your stories in the U.S. Oh, I'm excited to share with you guys. (laughs) The first question we like to ask right off the bat is what is some of the most craziest or most memorable driving experiences you have had? Uh, For me, my most memorable ones would definitely have to be uh, when I was living in Southeast Asia. I've lived in Vietnam and Bali, and I learned how to drive a motorbike there. And it's just a driving experience so different from what it is in the US. I mean, like the traffic laws aren't the same, then people don't really follow them. People break the laws and rules all the time. So I guess you could say yeah, most of my most memorable ones are there. One of the most memorable ones, um, it was in Vietnam, I was 
it was like my first month driving a motorbike at that point. And I was driving on my way to my first private lesson for English. And so I was driving on this massive bridge. And mind you, on this bridge, there's cars that drive in the middle, but on either side of the bridge, that's where motorbikes drive on. And then all of a sudden, my motorbike just stopped working. It just, it just died. I mean, there was like still plenty of gas. So and I had so I was like, what's going on? And so I just essentially panicked. And then I started just calling anyone that I think could help me. There's like no tow trucks in Vietnam to like, tow your bike. So I was just thinking, who can I call to help me? Because I'm completely stranded in this middle, in the middle of this bridge where there's all this traffic just driving past me. So I first called one of my housemates and he said he would come. But in the meantime, I just thought I need to contact the people I'm renting this from. And so I'm just like on this bike and I call them. And mind you, the people I'm renting from the owner doesn't speak English, but his 10 year old son did. So I'm speaking with this 10 year old boy telling him where I am, he cannot figure out where I am. I'm telling him I'm on the main bridge. He's like, Can you send me a photo? I try sending a photo, it doesn't work. He's like, let's try FaceTiming. The FaceTime is just not working. And then he's like, can you get someone on the phone <laughs> to speak with me to tell us where you are? And I'm just like, I'm on the middle of this bridge and people are driving past me like, how am I going to get someone to just get on the phone? And then all of a sudden, sure enough, this man had stopped behind me and he's yelling at me in Vietnamese. I just hand him my phone and he is so confused. <laughs> he's, he's so confused, but he takes the phone and then he's talking with this 10 year old boy. And then he gives me the phone back and the boy tells me, okay, this man is going to help you. You know, his, you're just going to have to reach the end of the bridge and our mechanic is going to reach you there at the very end. I said, okay, well, this man, he basically kind of drives off and I'm just pushing my motorbike on this bridge. But remember, I had said I called my housemate who said who would come. Well, he came and honestly saved the day. He meets me in the middle of this bridge. And he said, okay, Ashley, we're going to try something. I've seen it. I've seen it done, but I've never done it. I'm like, what is it? And he's like, I'm going to, he's like, you're going to sit on your bike and I'm going to put my foot on the back of your bike. And I'm just going to basically push it like him driving, but pushing me with his foot. I said, okay, <laughs> let's, let's give it a go. <laughs> let's give it a go. And so sure enough, like he's pushing me with his foot on the back of my bike and I'm not driving. I'm just sitting on the spike like a little kid and he pushes me all the way to the end of the bridge and thank goodness because it was so hot that day as well and humid so not having to push my motorbike all the way down was really just amazing so we reached the end of the bridge and there's the mechanic again he does not speak english of course not but i understand what he's trying to tell me he basically tells me he's going to do the same thing push me with his foot all the way up this massive main road to the shop 
So he pushes me up all the way there. And then I finally am now in front of this 10 year old boy and he's telling me how they're going to fix the bike. But in the meantime, they're going to give me another bike that I can use in the meantime. But at this point, of course, I had to cancel my private lesson class. I just went back on the bike and I just kind of cried because I just thought this is my first month in Vietnam and this happens. And but yeah, it worked out in the end, but it was one of the most stressful. Well, actually, I've had more stressful things, but that was one of the most memorable experiences I've had in Vietnam, at least. Well, I'm glad it worked out in the end. And I definitely would have been freaked out, too, in that situation, especially being in a different country. And then your vehicle just stops and you're stuck in a high traffic area. Yeah, it was like I said, and like I said, there, I knew there was no tow truck. So it's just like, how do you get this bike that doesn't work like off this ma a massive bridge? But luckily, the, the shop wasn't very far from where it was. Like if you were driving normally, it'd maybe be like a 20, 25 minute drive. So luckily, I wasn't out there stranded. But yeah, that was definitely a nice welcoming to Vietnam. And that Kind of that kind of tended to be the thing in Vietnam, like whether I ran out of gas or there was other times where my motorbike would break down. It, it just happened quite a bit. But over time, I knew more of what to do. So, but yeah. <laughs> I think it's really interesting that pushing the bike with your foot, like I didn't even know that was a thing. That like <laughs> That's how people push the bikes that were broken. Like, because even the mechanic did the same thing. Yeah. I would have never thought of that. Yeah, me neither. But that just kind of goes to show like when you're in other countries like that, they really do find ways to make anything work with whatever they have. So it really just kind of teaches you to be like a little bit more innovative, you know, when you're in those kind of situations. So but like I said, it, it worked. And it was just funny, just him pushing me up all the way up the road, I just thought, you know, what is my life? <laughs> but, uh, but it was like, like you said, I got through it. It was fine. In the end, I really wasn't in danger. I was just stranded for a little bit. Yeah, I feel like I would be worried giving a stranger my phone. I don't know. I think it's just me. But I would have freaked out. Like, what if he ran away with my phone? <laughs> I know I was just so desperate in that moment. They asked me to like, find someone to get on the phone. And there was this man. And I just I don't know. Instinctively, I was like, he needs to talk to this boy. Like, I need help. And sure enough, luckily, he was a nice man, I guess, in a sense, and didn't take my phone. <laughs> I just, I was just desperate in the moment. I know you said that you've had other strange or memorable experiences. Do you mind sharing those with us? Yeah, no, this one was, this is the one that takes the cake of, of anything. So I was in Bali for eight months, and it was my last week there. And so I decided to take a trip to Eastern Bali. So I was on the west side in Canggu and to drive over to Eastern Bali, it's like about a three hour drive. And I went there to go to a temple. And so I went there, went to the temple, got photos, and now it was time to come back. So I had Google Maps, you know, the internet data and Google Maps works just fine over there. And so I was following the map, of course, and all of a sudden it had me take a turn that wasn't familiar from when I was going to the temple, but I figured, you know, I'll trust it, I'll give it a go. I start going uphill a little bit, up into the mountains a bit, and 
like at first I was very excited. I was like, wow, like look at the views, the trees, this is beautiful. And then I was going higher and higher up to the point where when I was driving, the road was so steep that I had to lean forward on my bike. It was like that steep. So I was going up and up further, higher up in the mountains. And at first, like I said, I was still very excited, but then I started to feel uncomfortable in that I was like the only non-Balinese person up there. Like you saw these small villages. And I mean, I've done road trips, like I said, like in Vietnam before and was around that and it didn't bother me, but I was starting to get this kind of attention that made me feel uncomfortable. And, you know, I was, you know, I'm a female, I'm alone. I had all my belongings in my scooter, so it wasn't on me, on my back. So I just thought, okay, where is Google Maps taking me? And so I'm like still going. And at one point, you know, I reached like this beautiful, I guess, like viewpoint. And when I was trying to take pictures there, there were people like trying to say, like trying to talk to me, being friendly, but it was just this attention that just some, for some reason, it just made me feel uncomfortable. So I thought, I just need to keep going and just get out of here. So I'm driving and then all of a sudden I reach this road because the first bit of that drive was on um, a pavement and then the road became a dirt road. And so I thought, okay, this is fine. I've driven on dirt roads before, no big deal. So I'm driving on it, but also too, I'm driving a, like a city bike. It's a Scoopy, a Honda Scoopy. And if you Google it, you'll see it's kind of like a Vespa style motorbike so it's not really meant for the mountains but I mean it's what I had so I was like I'll just go with it <laughs> so I'm driving on this dirt road and then all of a sudden it becomes this road where it was really it was like dried mud like where it was really muddy and then people definitely drove through it when it was wet so when it dried up it was very uneven and Google Maps is telling me I need to go through this. And I just thought, okay, I've made it this far. I'll just keep going. So what I had to do was I turned off the engine of my bike and I started walking it down on this uneven, dried mud bit. And I'm still high up in the mountains, mind you. And so it was just like a small section and I finally reached the end of it. And again, now it's a dirt road again. And then there's like this beautiful opening in the trees and the most amazing view of the ocean. And I look down and the road that continued wasn't necessarily much of a road or a trail anymore. I just thought if I go down this, I'm not going to make it out alive. So I'm like, I need to. So I'm just like, I need to go in reverse and go back. Because at this point, again, I have to go back up that dried up muddy road that I mentioned. But this time I have to go back up it. And the thing that was scary about it this time was because this bit like on my right side was basically like a cliff with like all these trees and stuff. It was like quite steep. And then to the left of me, like I said, it's just very uneven. So there's like this small bit where it was kind of flat that I was trying to get my bike on in order to get back up. So for this part, I turned again, I turned my motorbike off and then I'm pushing it up this bit of the road. And I'm just like terrified. Cause like I said, the right side's like a cliff thing. And then the left side is just like an uneven road. And I'm like, I don't want to one, hurt myself and then two, hurt the bike because it's a rental. And so, you know, that's what's going through my mind. And so I'm like pushing it up. And then there's at this point where I got stuck in the road and I'm 
freaking out. So I'm like, okay, I need to turn on the engine and it's an automatic bike. So you accelerate with the right handle. So I'm trying to accelerate it like ever so slowly because I don't want my bike to just shoot out from like my hands. And so I'm trying to accelerate it and it's not going up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like how am I going to get it this up? And then at some point, like I keep trying and trying and then eventually I pass, I'm able to like push my bike up and then I'm at the top of where that mud road began. So I just stop the bike and then I just start crying because I'm just so overwhelmed and I just want to just get out of there. And I'm like, okay, I'm not going to follow Google Maps. I'm just going to go back the way I came from and try to go back towards the temple again because the temple is a tourist area. So I figured if I can just go back there, start over and then try to go back to Chenggu, which is on the west side of the island, I should be fine. So I start to go back where I came from. I'm still up in the mountains again. And I'm like, I just want out of these mountains. Like they were beautiful, but now like I'm done. <laughs> I just want to get out. And so I'm driving and um, again, Google Maps is telling me to go take a turn to this other dirt road. And I'm like, I didn't go on this dirt road coming the way that I had before. And when I was there, there were these Balinese men that were hanging out and sitting outside their home. And they were like yelling at me, like basically telling me to go straight and not take the dirt road. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to listen to them. You know, these dirt roads have not done me any favors. So I was, so I started to um, drive like again, straight along that pavement road. And I finally started descending and I was like, okay, thank goodness I'm starting to get out of the mountains. And then of course, surely enough, what happens, it starts to downpour rain because it is a tropical island. And so I take out my poncho, it's pouring down rain. And I'm like, I just want out of here. And so I'm driving out and I finally made it out of the mountains. And now I'm in this little like kind of small little town or village. I had pulled over to take out my phone to see where I was and where I needed to go. And then this man who thankfully spoke English asked me like where I was going. And I told him Chenggu, which mind you, I'm still three hours away. I'm still on the Eastern side of Bali and Chenggu's on the West side. And he just starts laughing at me. And I said, I'm serious. Like I'm trying to go to Chenggu. <laughs> and he was like, okay. And I told him, I remembered a highway that I drove on to get towards the temple. And I'm like, where is that highway? Like, I just need to get to that highway and I know that will take me back. And he said, oh, you just take a right here. You're gonna go straight for a bit. And he said, it's like one kilometer or two kilometers away. And I said, that's fine. I just need to get to the highway. I just want out of here. And then sure enough, so I start driving where he kind of told me to. And I finally reach the roads that I had drove on on my way to the temple. And I finally made it towards the beach because the highway is towards, it's like literally right alongside the beach, like on the bottom half of Bali. Well, actually, no, the southeastern bit of Bali. And of course, as soon as I get out of there, the sun comes out. And I just thought, wow, okay. <laughs> so yeah, so eventually, like I drove again, another three hours back to Chengdu. And the first thing I did was treat myself to a nice meal because I was like, I deserve it. I just want to eat and just, yeah. But that was definitely one of the most scariest and interesting ex driving experiences I've ever had. <laughs> yeah, you had quite the adventure. <laughs> yes. But like I said, um, I made it through. I It's in those moments you just kind of have to think fast on your feet and think like, okay, what can I do? What do I have access to? Or 
you know, and um, and just kind of go from there. And now you know, like, you can't always completely trust Google Maps. <laughs> it doesn't always put you in the right place. It really doesn't. I mean, Google Maps failed me. It hasn't failed me since, but that day it really did. I mean, like I said, I did get some nice photos and views for a bit while I was up there. But then after that, I was like, I just I just want out. <laughs> like, like, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, we've heard several stories now where Google Maps puts you on a road and then you end up on either a road that's not really a road or at the edge of a cliff. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, and it's amazing to me how Google Maps can like identify or like find those little, I wouldn't even call roads, they're like little trails. It's like, how do you know of this? It's crazy what technology can do. But yeah, it's just something I did not expect. Because like I said, at the beginning, it was paved roads. So I thought, oh, this should be fine. I should Maybe it's like a shortcut to get to the west side of Bali. And no, it wasn't at all. So yeah, <laughs> just stick to highways if there's highways, I guess, sometimes. And the fact that the sun came out when you got back to the highway, like now now you're in the right place. <laughs> exactly. I just thought, I, I was just kind of thinking about it because when I was like going through that up in the mountains, I was like, I feel like there's a life lesson that can be learned right now. I was like, which is great and all, but I was like, I really don't, I really didn't expect it to like learn, I guess this way about, I guess the lesson, I, as cliche as it is, like no matter, you know, what challenges come your way, it's pushing forward and like overcoming it. Cause that definitely was a situation that I really just didn't really know how to get out of. But then like, once I thought about it for like a second, I was just like, okay, I need to just kind of retrace my steps. Um, at one point, actually, when I was up in the mountains, my bike also fell over, like I was on this road where it was gravel, and then like my bike just kind of fell over, like, luckily, I didn't fall with it. But I just thought like, Oh, my gosh, like, what have I got myself into? And I was supposed to be with a friend too. she canceled on me last minute that morning. So it would have been interesting how things might have played out had she like gone with me. But I'm still happy I went the temple that I went to was absolutely gorgeous. So I guess it was worth the trip. <laughs> Yeah, I think you were mentioning that on your way up, the locals were trying to like talk to you. Maybe they were trying to warn you, <laughs> don't go this way. Mate, well, I hope. No, it's just like when I was driving up, everyone's backs was faced toward, like was like facing me. And then they would hear the motorbike and like everyone was just staring. It was just like this awkward stare that just, and I guess because they don't get Westerners up there, which I mean, totally understand, but it just kind of made me feel like uncomfortable. And I don't think they would have hurt me, but it's just... You know, I'm, I'm by myself. Um, I'm up in the mountains. No one really knows that I'm up there. It's just kind of like, I just started to feel like a little uncomfortable. And when those, um, these teenagers were trying to tell me hi, when I was at the viewpoint, they were just trying to say hi, which I mean, like, no big deal. It's just I just felt like I needed to get out of there for some reason. And I've traveled a lot quite a bit. So it's just kind of listening to your instincts that maybe like where you're at is maybe not the best situation that you should be in. Since you have been in multiple different countries, were there any, are there any like stereotypes that are associated with drivers of those areas? Well, I think in Asian countries, the stereotype is that they're not good drivers and whatnot. But it's just, it's just a very different way of driving. Like, like I mentioned before, laws there and whatnot isn't like really like 
enforced as much over there on the road. So like in Vietnam, one thing that you would see a lot, like I saw so many people running red lights, running or driving on the wrong side of the road, driving on the sidewalks. And I'll be honest, I was doing it too, because there'd be so much traffic and you're out in this heat and you're like on this road and you're at the stoplight and there's so many cars, like especially in Hanoi where I was living, the density is just great. Like the population density is just very high. And so, and the roads aren't very wide. And so when you're like in downtown or like in the central part of the city of Hanoi, there's just the the crowds of motorbikes is just crazy. And everyone's always trying to get ahead and move forward. And some of those ways to like get ahead and move forward is to get on the sidewalk and drive past all the traffic that's there. Or like, yeah, like I said, driving on the wrong side of the road. I mean, I did that too. I'll be honest. I mean, like when in Rome, right? <laughs> yes, it's just, and then also too, with the honking, that was also something that was very different as well. Like here, like in the US, people honk, usually out of anger, and like being like, hey, you're cutting me off or something like that. But there, it's more like a, like a language in a way that like you typically honk to say like, hey, I'm coming up behind you or like, hey, move out of the way because I'm like going to pass you or something like that. So people are using their horns all the time. And when I was first there, it if anything, it drove me crazy. I was like, why are you honking at me? And then I learned more as to how it's used. And then I started using my horn more like to honk at cars, like maybe like a car is like coming out or something. And I need to like honk to let them know that I'm like coming by them. It's just a warning kind of thing or like, so it's, it's just, it's just very different over there. So has this made you more likely to honk? And when you go in different countries, do you tend to honk more now? Oh, I definitely don't. I'm back in the US right now. And I, I, I don't think I've used my horn. Actually, no, once, but it's because someone was cutting me off, <laughs> which is typically the reason why people use their horns. But I definitely don't. I think as you're like, in one country to another, you quickly kind of adjust to their societal norms. And so for me, when I was in Southeast Asia, I had to quickly adjust. Like I said, I had to use my horn as a warning sign or letting people know that I'm around or coming by. But here, that's not necessarily the case because people do follow the rules and people do stay in their lanes. And yeah, it's just, it's not something that needs to be done here. So I don't use my horn. Which country would you say you're most comfortable driving in? And which one would you say you're the least comfortable driving in? I've only driven in three countries. The other countries that I went to, I never drove, you know, since the public transportation system was really good. So the places I've driven, like, you know, it's just US, Bali, and Vietnam. And well, I would say like, like, I feel most comfortable, I guess you could say in the you well, let me put it this way. I feel very comfortable driving a car here in the US, but I would never ever drive a car in Southeast Asia. And driving a motorbike, I feel very comfortable driving a motorbike in Southeast Asia, but I would never drive a motorcycle here in the US. And the reason why is that I wouldn't drive a car in Southeast Asia is because there's since because there are so many motorbikes there, 
there are cars, of course, but cars typically have to drive so much slower than usual because there's all these motorbikes driving around them and you just tend to like stay in traffic a bit more. So, I mean, I would take taxis when I was there, but driving one myself, it just, I would rather drive a motorbike because you can easily cut through traffic and weave through cars and I just preferred that. And then driving a motorbike, I feel more comfortable there because there's not really rules you have to follow. You can just kind of do whatever. And and I and also too, people don't, well, depending on what kind of roads you are. I mean, if you're on a highway, of course, you're gonna drive very fast, but on like the roads around town, because there's so many motorbikes, cars do look out for motorbikes a lot because there's so many more of them. Whereas here in the US, people drive motorcycles and whatnot, but cars, but like the streets aren't aren't really built to cater to motorbikes. It's more for cars. So I feel like less comfortable to drive like a motorcycle or something like that here. Yeah, I feel like when you think of like Asian countries, you do think more of all of the motorbikes. There's way more of those because people do like weave in and out more often than they do here in the U.S. Exactly. And so because there's more of that, like cars in Southeast Asia, they tend, like I said, they tend to drive a lot slower and tend to be more cautious because about motorbikes that are around them, whereas here, that's not necessarily the case. So that's why I would never want to, yeah, I have no desire to drive a motorcycle or anything like that here. Now that we've heard some of your crazier or most memorable driving experiences, let's get to know what type of driver you are. Would you say you are the type of person who rather be the driver or the passenger when given the choice? It depends, I guess, where. Like, I honestly don't mind driving. I'm, I'm a very cautious driver. I'm always on alert. I'm very well aware of my surroundings. I'm just constantly looking around, making sure that no one's doing anything crazy so that I have to like suddenly stop or something. I mean, I like driving, but then also too, sometimes I can't be bothered and I'm just like, can someone else drive? It just, I guess it depends on like my mood and like where we're, where we're going. So have you ever been in a car where you're a passenger and you were like, oh, I shouldn't have got in this car? That happens a lot with my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> he scares me when he drives and he knows this because he gets so easily distracted and whatnot but he drives most of the time but i am constantly having to be on him being like like stay focused or like please don't speed like that and he said it used to be worse and i'm like geez like i don't know how it could be worse but yeah that actually happens quite a bit with him so you did say that you are a pretty cautious driver would you say that your family and friends would also describe your driving in the same way oh yes Yes, I've been told that I'm very cautious, I'm very alert. Whether I'm driving someone in a car or even when I was driving my best friend that I moved to Bali with in Bali. So the first month she didn't know how to drive a motorbike. So I was driving her and I around everywhere. And she said she was so appreciative of my driving and how cautious I am because she got on a motorbike uh, on the back of someone else's motorbike. And that person apparently wasn't like they were just like, speeding and weaving like crazy and she just told me oh my god Ashley I just really missed your driving in that moment because like I'm more cautious <laughs> and don't do that well at least when when there's a passenger like if there's a passenger with me I tend to be like even more cautious 
Have so, you always been more cautious or is that like having having driven in like other countries like Bali and Vietnam, has that changed the way that you are as a driver? I've, I've always been a cautious driver, like even before I moved abroad. That's just something how that's just how I've always been. And then, of course, when I moved to Southeast Asia, like I just, of course, became even more cautious because I just I was like, I don't trust anyone. Everyone's just trying to get where they want to. So I feel like I'm the one that needs to be the co- like the more cautious one, because there were so many incidents, like even with my friends, they would get in motorbike accidents because and it was usually kind of like a T-bone kind of style accidents because someone would just kind of shoot out out of nowhere. And that tends to be like the cause of most accidents that I knew of. So especially like at intersections and stuff like that, I tend to be even more cautious because I'm always just wary if like someone's just going to shoot out because they don't stop. Yeah, I feel the same way. I feel like I have to take on the responsibility of not only taking care of myself as a driver, but also other drivers around me. Exactly. So that's what I mean. It's like you like other people aren't going to change like their the way they drive. So it's just like I can only control how I drive. And so I'll be the more cautious one. That's totally fine. because I really just want to avoid any any accidents really when thinking of annoying drivers on the road what would you say is your biggest pet peeve i guess in terms of like driving cars when people you know just tell you it just kind of drives me crazy people kind of do that and then when i was in southeast asia the thing that really would get my blood boiling so like i said when they honk at you it's usually because they want to pass you and they want you to move out of the way there were so many times like cars would honk at me they're literally right behind me so i know it's directed at me and they're honking and there's nowhere for me to go i can't go on the sidewalk i can't go any forward and i'm like i don't know what you want me to do and it would just drive me crazy because it happened like so many times but yeah that's it just goes to show like the mentality that they're always just trying to get ahead like very fast and yeah it's it's just getting used to a different mentality and a different way of people driving yeah, I agree with that. Like when we went to India, if people would honk more than they wouldn't, like even when there was nowhere for the person in front of them to go, they're just like, magically let me get in front of you. Just keep honking. Yeah, exactly. Have you ever experienced road rage? Oh, yeah, definitely. I've definitely had road rage. I feel like I'm pretty good about it, like especially here because here like the driving isn't as crazy, you know? But when I was in Southeast Asia, I mean, like the first month or two when I lived in Vietnam, because that was my first Southeast Asian country that I lived in, I, I was angry like a lot. <laughs> it was, But again, that was just me adjusting to this different way of life and different way of driving. But yeah, the, the honking and the, the madness that you would see on the streets, it, it really got my blood boiling because it was just something that I wasn't used to. But over time, the road rage started to go down a lot more because I got more used to it. Don't get me wrong, I would still get quite upset from time to time, but less often. Sounds like you tend to adapt to the driving culture wherever you are. Well, yeah, you kind of have to. I mean, it's just especially too when you're like in a place by choice. It's just, well, I chose to be here. So I need to adapt and make this like my new norm if I'm going to stay here. Because I was in Vietnam for a year and a half. So it's just like, well, you know, I'm here and they're definitely not going to change. So I need to change my attitude and perspective on it. Now that we've gotten a little insight into what type of driver you are, Let's go back to when it first started. How would you describe your first time driving experience and who was it with? The first time I drove 
It was in Mexico with my mom. I was 15. I hadn't gotten my permit yet. And I convinced her to just take me driving. And my cousin and I had my cousin go with me. So she was in the back seat. My mom was in the passenger seat. And I just said, Okay, I'll just drive us to the store that we were planning on going to that wasn't far from my aunt's house. And I was very cautious in the moment, like I was, you know, had both hands on the steering wheel, and I was very attentive. But then we were practicing around this little roundabout, or the street that went in a big long oval. And then after that, we're like, okay, now let's go to the store. And once I drove out to go to that store, I panicked in a sense, because there were like other cars around me. And I mean, we didn't crash, but there was like a moment where it could have happened. And my mom nearly had a panic attack. She was just like, Ashley. And I just thought like, it's fine. Like, it's fine. <laughs> you know, we made it there safely. But like, yeah, from the from the very beginning, I was very cautious. And my mom, she's the most patient woman ever. But she also just sometimes gets a little bit anxiety when I drive, which I don't get why because I'm so cautious. But she's a mom. So she always, you know, worries. Your mom was okay with you just driving in Mexico? Yeah, it was like in Tijuana because um, I was about to get my permit anyway. So if, either way, she was going to start teaching me to drive not long after. So yeah, I just don't know why. I don't know how or what I said to convince her. But I was just like, please, you know, I'm going to start driving soon. Let's just start here. I just wanted to do. It was like, a, like I said, there was like a little uh, bit where it was like a this long oval. So I could just go around in a circle like, or like in an oval, <laughs> just to practice. And then in the store that we wanted to go to was literally like 30 seconds away. So I just wanted to kind of get a feel for it. But that was my only time I've ever driven in Mexico. After that, my mom was like, you're not driving here, because also the driving there is different than what it is in the US. It's not as crazy as like in Southeast Asia, but people also are pretty lax on the driving rules a bit. Like it's not really that enforced to wear a seatbelt. Stop signs are more like slow down signs so yeah when you went to go for your driver's test were you able to do it on the first go i was lucky that i got it so the actual test i had to take like three four times the written test but then the driving test thank goodness i only did once but i was kind of surprised because i did well but i started off the test with the emergency brake on oh my gosh <laughs> and <laughs> And like the person who was who was there with me told me they're like your your the emergency brake is still on and I was like oh my gosh um that's how it started but I still somehow passed so kudos to that person for not failing me that day but yeah I passed on the first try think thankfully wow you got a really nice uh driving what do you call it instructor <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know, that's what I mean. I just thought as soon as that happened, I was like, oh, I failed. You know, I don't even know if there's like any point to continue this test, but I did it and I did well enough to have this person like let me pass. So I guess that person was in a good mood. Either way, I'll take it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you were to retake the test today, do you think you would be able to pass it? Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, um, I feel like I, you know, I'm a good driver. Uh, so. Yeah, I, I would definitely pass. And remember to not leave the emergency brake on. <laughs> yes, I now know. It's just like at the time, yeah, I don't know. I think it's probably like the nerves. I just forgot to just do that bit first. But either way, it's a, it was fine. Nothing bad happened. Staying on the topic of driving test, I know a lot of states are starting to get rid of parallel parking as one of the requirements on the test. Did you have to parallel park? And do you think this should be removed or should it be kept on the test? 
one, I didn't know that was actually happening. So it's very interesting. I think it, I don't know, I'm mixed about it because I feel like, especially if you're in a place where there's a lot of parallel parking, I think it's important to know how to do it properly because it is, I think, one of the trickiest things to learn how to do when driving. So I would say like maybe depending, like maybe that wouldn't be fair if it was like depending on where you're taking the test, but I don't know. I think it's important to know, but maybe not have it on a test, but you should still know how to do it. Did your test have it? I don't think it did. I really can't remember to be honest, but I don't think it did, but I'm not 100% sure. It's like so long ago. Do we have a bonus question? If you could make one new driving law, what would it be? Oh, wow. Maybe, oh gosh, I have me speechless. I really don't know what it would be. Um, like, I'm just like, I'm trying to think like what really aggravates me. I would really like to just stop if it could. But I guess maybe, oh my gosh, I don't know. Maybe like not tailgate, like tail other people. I don't know. I'm just basing that off of what I said earlier. I really don't know. I, I really can't think you have me you have me stumped there. <laughs> I really wish there was a way that we could do that. Like any tailgaters, magically, there's a way that you can stop them from being so close to you. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just we're all go we're all going in the same general direction. It's just I don't understand sometimes. Like I understand sometimes some people are like in a hurry for whatever reason, and like that I get. But but still, it's just yeah, that kind of aggression. I don't feel like it's needed. Maybe they should invent things for cars where you can like, I guess, honk at the person behind you or some kind of notification to the person behind you and be like, back up. <laughs> Reverse honk. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. I feel like technology has just been like improving so much, like especially with cars. So if there was a way that you could maybe kind of communicate more, just throwing like ideas out there, like just like a way to just kind of communicate more. So that way, like we can move better, like through traffic instead of having all this like, aggression or like road rage and whatnot. So yeah, I feel like if we could communicate more, maybe that could maybe help like lower accidents, but it, should, it would be a nice idea. Yeah, maybe someone who's listening will hear that and they'll make it. Yeah, hopefully. So we'll just see what, what happens in the future. Do you have any final thoughts or any tips you would like to give other drivers? Yes. Well, I would just, I'll just lean it more towards like for anyone that wants to like drive a motorbike, definitely always wear your helmet, even though it's not always enforced <laughs> in those countries, like always wear a helmet and always just choose to be the more cautious one when driving. I just feel like if we have more drivers who are a bit more cautious, it can make the roads a bit safer. All great points. So where can listeners find you if they want to connect with you? You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Venture Et, and Et is spelled E-T-T-E. Well, thank you so much for coming on. We really enjoyed hearing your crazy stories, especially in Southeast Asia. No, thank you so much for having me. It was fun to talk with you ladies, so thank you. Can you imagine getting stuck on the middle of like in the middle of a busy bridge, the beginning of when you're in this completely different country and you're alone and then all of a sudden your bike a, breaks down? It's a great way to be welcomed to a new country. And the fact that there's no tow trucks, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, that was really interesting. It's like, really? It's like, then how do people... Is it because everyone mostly has bikes and then they just do the foot push thing? You don't need a tow truck? Yeah, exactly. Probably because... I think motorbikes are the big thing and there's probably not as many cars. So it's just like push your own vehicle to the nearest shop and get it yeah. fixed. But her 
having to explain to this little boy that she is stuck and she needs like please facetime me or you know like yeah and then having to ask some random person on the side of the road to like talk to this boy and figure out take my phone (laughs) yeah tell him where i am because he's not understanding like wow I can't imagine being in that situation. That and then Google Maps trying to like throw you off a cliff. Oh my gosh. When she was sharing that, all I could think of was all those stories that people have shared about Google Maps steering them wrong and like making you end up at the edge of a cliff in a sense. (laughs) Exactly. This, well, first she was just, she said she was like going higher and higher up in the mountain, I think. And then it started taking her down dirt roads and she was like well google maps is you know probably telling me to go the right way it's google maps (laughs) yeah and then it was like nah i gotta stop i gotta figure out how to get back on my own for a little bit which again in a different country on your own that's scary and her friend was supposed to go with her so i feel like if I went alone versus I had someone with me. I would be a little more calmer if I wasn't alone. Well, yeah, I would. Yeah, I would not be okay by myself. But I can completely relate to her pet peeve of tailgaters here. Every episode when someone mentions a pet peeve, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's one of my pet peeves. And it's like, I have a million. (laughs) I know. I'm like, I literally have so many pet peeves. Yep, that's another one. Oh, yeah, that's a pet peeve, too. Oh, I didn't think about that one, but now it's a pet peeve. It's official. It's official. (laughs) But then also the honking. It's like people hear honk, too. And it's like, why are you honking at me? Especially in like Asian countries, I can see how that is more like she said, it's a language more than a I'm mad at you kind of thing. I feel like they know that there is nowhere to go, but they just honk like, get out of my way, like, go, go. Like, they can just somehow magically clear up the jam. (laughs) The more you honk, the clearer it becomes. (laughs) Yeah, before she has any more great ideas, (laughs) we hope you enjoyed Ashley's crazy driving stories. And if you or anyone you know has any interesting stories and would love to be a guest, Fill out the interest form on our website at drivewithuspodcast.com. And stay tuned until the end for a sneak peek of next week's episode where we are joined by Elijah Hall and he shares with us the differences of driving on the West Coast versus the East Coast and a very entertaining story of racing in chariots in San Diego. Thanks for driving with us. Love this episode of Drive With Us? Leave us a review on iTunes or Podchaser and connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at Drive With Us Podcast. And now a sneak peek. What in the world is going on? Somebody clearly went off the road and their car turned over and they're it's on its side. We're the first ones to get there. There's nobody else around. And we start looking into the window. And I remember when I approached the car, the first thing that came to my mind was, my God, I hope I don't see a dead body.